welcome to Escape This Podcast, a show that's a mix between tabletop role-playing and escape room puzzles. And we have covered the escape room puzzles in last bonus episode. So, so we now have... we pivot. So now we pivot over to tabletop role-playing games. And I ask you, Danny, the question that we ask all of our guests, what's your tabletop role-playing experience? A funny kind of moderate, like more than the people who have just played one game, but I'm also definitely not one of those, oh, yep, been in the same group three years, same character a whole time, doing great. Level 14. Mm. That normal? I think that's a normal amount of experience, mm. right? It's like Oh, I meant is level 14 normal for a three-year campaign? I don't know, probably. <laughs> Depends on the game. Mm. Um, yeah, that's, that's fair. I feel like I've probably got more of the general experience with that. I mean, pretty much anything that I've done, you've done, plus you've Any done game more you on top can of play, that. I can play better. I mean, I didn't know that they existed until we were going out, which granted yeah, was, was some time ago. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's 16. 15 years ago. So, yes. Well, no, that, that, that's fair. So, like, the games that we played, I, I probably ran some games for you when yep. we were younger. You were my first GM. True. And I was a GM, not a DM, because I don't play Dungeons and Dragons. No, I only played that like twice. Yeah, yeah, very, very few games. But yeah, so uh, have you been in campaigns that I, have you been in a non-recorded game that I haven't run? That's a question I have for you. I, oh, that you haven't run? Yeah. We did. Or one, we did a D&D game non-recorded together as players. Yeah, that's true. Uh, part of when we were doing Dragon Age campaigns, Tess ran. Yes, and of course you ran this one of those. Uh, yeah, Age. I've done a little good, good little handful of GMing myself. Yes, I always enjoyed having you as a game master. Oh, thank you. You had some very story focused, fun, interesting campaigns. Aww. So, so let's let's talk about let's talk about some systems that we've played, right? I, I want because we're just sort of chatting about it, but I want to talk about. So, mm -hmm. for me, when I first started playing tabletop role playing games. Uh, the system that I learned and played was a game called MURP, which is Middle Earth Role Playing. It's a game that was made in the 80s, I think, by Iron Crown Enterprise, uh, who make Rollmaster and Harp and some other games. Uh, and I loved it. I loved it. Uh, Did you start out playing Raw? I, I mean, I know Raw has a very different meaning in something, like a full version of it, because I know that by the time you introduced me to it, you were doing a bit of a combo mix between Merp and Rollmaster? So, Merp is like... So the way Merp works, it's, it's Middle-Earth role-playing and it's set in, in Middle-Earth, so it's all Lord of the Rings. Even though that doesn't necessarily map onto the clear Dungeons & Dragons influences in its character classes and the fact that there's like magic systems that work. You know, magic in Middle-Earth is much more vague <laughs> than the solidified version of being a magic user in this game, right? And you want to use magic in combat? you got to wait until you've got yeah, your magic maxed of, out for that. There aren't a huge amount of magic spells that work in combat. You get one at level three that works well, and then you don't get, like, another one till level seven. Or something. It's, it's, it's wild. But it's, so mostly, it doesn't, it's mostly things like the spell of boil water. Things like that, exactly. Lots of and good no, movement and spells. And no, you can't boil someone's blood with that. <laughs> uh, but so, so it was a great game, and it's built on... I always find it fun to describe. It's like a table lookup RPG. Because mm -hmm. every time you roll, you would roll like, you roll a D100. So it's two D10s, pick a 10, pick a one. Uh, before you roll, obviously. Uh, so you roll it, you get a roll out of 100, you add your bonuses, you check your result. And very often you're checking your result against 
what you are attempting on a table. And that table might be, here's the difficulty of your checks. And mm -hmm. you can see all of the different results and what they will give you. Like what armor the, oh, they're wearing, exactly. what size they are, all of that sort of and thing. And so while that's a wild system, it was also really smart. Like I love the way they work with armor because it means oh. you can have a complicated system for armor that is baked into the table calculations, but not into the game. Like not, you don't have to calculate it when you're playing, right? D&D &D is a mm -hmm. very simple armor system. Sorry, everybody. I'm talking about role-playing mechanics. D&D is a very simple system of just like your armor is represented by a value that you add to your defense and now it makes it harder to hit you. But there, because of that, you can't get into much subtlety and weirdness. Whereas MERP, because it basically pre-calculates everything and then you look up, oh, what did my result mean? And you don't have to do any calculations, can do more complicated stuff like oh, the less armor you're wearing, the harder it is for you to get hit because you're more mobile. But when you do get hit, you'll be taking more damage from the people that hit you. That's a, that's quite a complicated series of com of, of computations to mm. do every time. So they do it for you. And then you just think, well, here I have an attack roll of whatever. And if I look and at, if someone's wearing no armor, it doesn't hit them at all. If someone's wearing leather armor, well, it doesn't hit them at all. Once they're wearing chain armor, it hits for eight damage. And if they're wearing plate armor, it hits again for four damage. If yep. I were higher up the chart, if I got a better roll, it might hit all types of armor. And then you would see like, oh, now it's so high that it hits people with no armor and it does 28 damage. But the same thing is doing eight damage if they're wearing plate. So they have these really complicated systems that you don't need to worry about because they're always, they're kind of done before. Very true. So from a, if you like reading tables and not... I love reading tables. Then it's fine and it works great. I remember having some frustration because I tended to like playing rogue or ranger sorts of characters. So my first character was a bow user. And using arrows, it felt like I never did damage to anyone unless really? I got a crit. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't remember how those <laughs> things worked out. But no, we were mixing it with a few things. So that is the same basic system that Rollmaster uses, which is a way more overly complicated version of Merp. <laughs> But some of the supplementary material for Rollmaster, therefore, you could work with Merp, right? Because they'd basically be like whole books of new tables. So you'd buy Oh, yeah, you so, definitely had a book that was so just Merp tables. So Merp had like four tables for attack, uh, which were just based on, do you have a sword? Do you have a, you know, a thing that's heavy? Do you have a thing? Very, very general classes. And then we had a, a Rollmaster supplement called Arms Law that had literal, and, it, and it, your own table for every single weapon. Yep. Like, here's the scimitar table. Here's the two-handed scimitar table. Here's the, bar, like, just a, a, a table for every weapon. So once you had a weapon, you'd be like, grab that table, give it to you, and now when you roll, that's what you check. And one other thing that was built into it was alongside the damage that you do, if you did well enough, you would get a crit, mm. and the table would then take and you to the, the crit crits, table. And all the crits had their own effects. So it... In the basic rules of that, if you've ever played Dungeons & Dragons, some people play with crit decks, which is when you get a crit, pull a, tr pull a mm, card that tells yeah. you everything that happens. It's that was built that. into Merp, and it was something that, that Iron Crown did really well. And I think then D&D, people have adapted themselves mm. in as third-party stuff for D&D. And again, though, that was one of those things I felt like I was missing out on playing an archer. And you weren't getting crits well? No, on. because a stupid little arrow doesn't crit unless you do it absolutely perfectly. 
to, you know, roll 200 from your D100. Definitely a possible thing. So you just, you just needed to roll rolls. over 96 or 96, 96 and above. 96 and above, you yep. roll again and you add it on. And if yeah. you roll that multiple times, you can roll huge. And if you didn't do that, your arrow could not do a crit. And oh, it was man. just disappointing saying, oh, yeah, you do three damage. Oh, person with the scimitar, I guess. All right, let's just see what your crit is. Oh, cool. You go straight up through the gap in his <laughs> armpit and his arm comes off. That's so exciting. Yeah, that was exciting. I'm so sorry that didn't happen. One of my fa- be- best moments playing that game, one of my most memorable mm. moments as a player happened from an arrow. Mm. Somebody, we were getting chased by a by a troll, a cave troll, mm-hmm. classic Lord of the Rings enemy, cave troll. Uh, and we were running because it was impossible to beat. And then one of our team turned around and went, no, no, I've got one last arrow. I'm going to fire that. Fired it, rolled absurdly high, rolled really well on the crit. Arrow went into the eyeball of the troll, killed it instantly in one hit. And he was like, oh my gosh. What have I done? It's amazing. <laughs> it was the best. It was, it was fantastic. Uh, but no, I played that for a while. I played it as a player with some friends, initially with friends of my uh, older brother, uh, and then just one of played them with that. One of them GM'd, right? One of them GM'd. Uh, both, they swapped off. Oh, the, okay. And we did mostly all uh, not pre-made campaigns. People, everyone would write their own homebrew campaigns. I've, I've really Oh, yeah. I didn't know that played. preset campaigns were a thing Yeah, back I've then. never really run or played in preset campaigns until very recently. Mm. Uh, and it's fun to have that sort of like people creating their own stuff. I, that to me is what RPGs were when I was young. Like that was the idea. You always write your own campaign. It's very interesting because people will normally think that having a pre-written campaign is just going to be so much less work for the DM or GM. Mm. It. I have looked at pre-written campaigns now, and the only thing that I would say is made easier by it is that the enemies have their stats pre-generated. Pre, yeah, pre-generated, That's the only easy thing. There is so much. Those things mm. are really impressive. Again, don't play much D&D, but I've taken a look at some of the pre- what are, Preset campaigns. Some I don't know the, what they're called in that. But yeah. like, as one of the uh, campaigns that are written in a book, and the detail is really impressive. Mm, yeah, but I find I reckon that must be much harder to game master sometimes because you have all this detail that is like objectively true. You got to know it all, and you have to really read through it and understand it all. And you, there's a capacity when you're running a pre-written campaign to be wrong as a DM, and it's very or a GM, you know, and it's yeah. much not the same when you're homebrewing because if you say something wrong, you either know it yourself or you're making it up. And if you make it up, it's like that, that's not true. It is quite interesting because I'm on a few subreddits that are to do with. Uh, D&D and other related things. And there are lots of people who talk about they are doing this pre-written campaign and here's what happened when their party chose to go in a different direction or did something unexpected. And they end up homebrewing half of it anyway. Mm, yeah, it's really interesting. But then if you want to finish the story, like how do you pivot it back into the and what is written as the rest of the usually when they go to the subreddit asking yeah, how to how do, do that. How do I get this back? How do I, <laughs> you know... We were playing Pathfinder Giant Slayer and they decided they didn't want to kill any giants. What do I do now? They've decided their aim is to be fish people instead. Yeah. And so like, sometimes I feel like it's restrictive that way. But, you know, I've never really run them, so maybe I've got no idea what I'm You should about. take a look at it I sometime. Should, yeah, maybe I should try fun. and run one one day. Mm. Um, so but, after that, after yes. Merp, so then you introduced me and yes, a few and other a, friends a to it. And, things like that. and One of your most, your coolest moments as a player that we had fun with behind the scenes happened in a Merp campaign. Was it? When you, uh, one of the spells had the charm person option. Oh, that was much more it was recent. A guest, it was was a, that Merp? I think that was Merp. Yeah. And that was a guest thing. Not a guest, <laughs> but you came in. You weren't usually yeah. a player. And we introduced you as an old friend of one of the players. So you could join in for a session. Because I was casting a spell to make them think the that I was an old of, friend. Yeah, wording of charm is they think of you an old friend. So I literally just said to them, this is one of your old friends. And they're like, great, I'm going to run with that. Because, you know, 
That's yeah, they had no reason to disbelieve it. And then later on, it's like, so now this spell is worn off. You don't know Danny's character at all. You have never met. And it was great. That was was such a fun reveal. (laughs) Um, I'm talking way back. Way back in the teenage years. Now, one of the big things that I definitely struggled with was, oh, my God, this is too much freedom. You're you're letting Mm. me say anything and do anything. And typically that meant... A lot of murder hoboing. With teenagers playing RPGs, you just act like a butthead to everybody. I wasn't as bad as some others, but we did keep little tallies on our character sheets of how (laughs) many people we killed. (laughs) Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, right? But yeah, at one point I took someone prisoner and they were just my hostage. And every time I fell asleep, the other team members would torture them. Oh, no. This is is what happens when when teenagers play D&D. It doesn't... doesn't, Well, that wasn't D&D. Don't play D&D. But it's just... Um... So after that, I know that I feel like the next major game that I had played was Deadlands. Did you play any Deadlands or was that only with I me? I played and my a friends? tiny, tiny bit. Mm. But before that, there was a brief mm. period where we tried to just do straight up Rollmaster. Oh, yeah. We barely. And think that's we impossible. Than, no. Rollmaster character creation, they give you like a blank sheet with nothing on it. And they go, come up with skills that fit within vague categories that we've set up. And give them different points, mm-hmm. and then you and each one will. But you can only level them up maximum of three times per level. And here are like a hundred and twenty skill points to give out. And that's like it's level one. And you think, what are you doing to me? Legitimately, Rollmaster? there is no clarification about whether your skills are meant to be swashbuckling or breathing. Yeah, it's wild. It could have been anything. Yeah, like listening is a skill. Like, do I need listening skill? Or is that implying I'm leveling up above a normal human's listening? Jumping. What do we yeah. mean by jumping How, here? It, And it was so much. And it, but the fact that it wasn't fill in the blanks, it was, sorry, it wasn't like fill in pre-written skills with how good you are at them. It was, there's an inexhaustible list of skills. Legit, it add was. Add whichever ones you feel like and write them down on this it sheet. Was it was wild. jumping. And then we would have to write what does jumping mean based on the skill level an extra foot per level, we would have to come up with that. It's oh, nonsensical. do we need to come up with that? It was wild. There, there was some that I believe may have had suggestions, but they said, these are only a couple. You'll need a lot more than this if you want to survive. Yeah, it was like, They suggested was some very normal things. Yes. It was very difficult was very, to figure look, out. Honestly, I haven't looked at it for, for well over, for like now, a decade. But the problem is that was not the most frustrating part, now, I dare say. Uh, now, I disagree. I like you this. You think the combat thing? I like the combat no. thing. No. But I get that you don't. The combat for that was, so rather than, right, lots of games have different like action economies. Yeah, like you can do one major action, e.g. attack, yeah. and one minor action, e.g. take six steps hmm. to the left. I think one of the one of the most elegant systems of it right now is uh, second edition Pathfinder which is you have three actions per turn. That's all. Anything you do. So if you want to move, then move, then move, you've done three actions. If you want to attack and attack and attack, that's three actions. If you want to move and attack and then draw a new weapon, that's three actions. Three attacks is pretty chunky. Yeah, they have a thing where if you do multiple attacks, there's a penalty for every second and third. So if you're attacking your third one, you're taking like a minus 10 or something as well. But I think it's really elegant. It's really beautiful. Three three action economy is really smart. Lancer, I think, is quite nice. I've been playing a lot of Lancer, which has you move, you take two quick actions or Mm. one full action. Yeah, easy. Great, easy. But back to Rollmaster. Rollmaster went, you have... As, like you can do as many actions as you want in a turn, <laughs> and you divvy up the percentage of your time you spent in that round. Percent of a turn. Some actions have a minimum percentage, so to make an attack was a minimum forty percent of your of your action. But if you spend more time mm. attacking, 
uh, all the way up to 100%, you get extra bonuses and efficacy on that attack. There but if you're there, and it was wild. You, had you to could defend up for 42% of your energy it if you wanted wild. to. So and then was, you have to figure out what that means. It was very ridiculous. But I, Unbelievable. I, I, wish, I wish we'd actually got to play that. Because I don't think we ever actually played a game. I think, I think very, we just tried to make very characters. Very slim amounts. Like you definitely did world building and things like yeah, that. I think I we got to I think we did it a little bit. Maybe. But, but no, it yes. didn't really work. A bit too complicated. Maybe going back to it now, <laughs> having experienced more role-playing games, it would make more sense. Or maybe Perhaps. it would make less. No. Maybe I'd be like, why would they do it this way? Now I also disagree with your timeline again, because I believe before Deadlands came Dragon Age. Do you think we did Dragon Age before Deadlands? I will trust you because I have no memory of my entire life. So... I will go with that. Uh, Dragon Age was really fun. It's a simpler game, mm-hmm. especially coming out of Rollmaster, but it's a fairly simple game. It's simpler than D&D or, Absolutely. or Pathfinder. And or it's interesting like because the video games for Dragon Age were very clearly D&D based. Mm. Whereas the ga- the... And then they made their own pared down small version by Green Ronin. Green name, Ronin right? was the company. They they got the, I, the IP for... Mm. Um, being able to make a Dragon Age RPG. And look, if you enjoy Dragon Age at all as a setting, and even if you don't, go check out the game. It's a very nice, especially if you're getting into RPGs. Um, but even if you've played a lot, it's really smooth. It's really simple. It's really good. And I you know what I find quite remarkable is that those rule books and preset campaigns and everything that I ever read about those were more true to the Dragon Age universe than Dragon Age 3. Yeah, don't play Dragon Age 3. Instead, play the Dragon Age RPG. quite amazing how that um, happened. So you took over the Game Master reigns for that. I did, did I because... run any of it or was it all you? I don't think you ran any of it because, I mean, Dragon Age is... <laughs> You, you definitely played law, but it was my thing. It was your thing. I put in the 500 yeah. hours or whatever. And so you read the rules, you took over as Game Master, and I really enjoyed your campaigns. Aww. They were really fun. So we played... The funny part about this was that my campaign that I originally came up with for this, very loosely, was going to start out as a MERP campaign. Oh, fun. And then you pivoted. Yeah, it only made sense. I didn't know anything about Murph. It was a wild idea that I might even try it. Yeah. But you just wanted to take the reins. And then you had a game that worked so much better. It was, so that was a, was that like a 3D6 system? You rolled 3D6. One of them was the dragon die, die, which if it hit certain numbers, you would get special results. Yeah. If it was a six, you got a crit. If it was a one, you had to worry. Mm. That was, if you got a triple one, then. Everything exploded, yeah. and it was really smooth because basically, yeah, one of them would give you would would uh, the one of the die was more important. You would add them all together, but based on that one die, you would be like, oh, well, now I'm going to have activate certain abilities because mm. uh, there's a, and you know, like it was really smart, yeah, really your, clean. Your really basic smooth. success failure was all of the dice, mm. but the. Uh, the flash the flourishes, was yeah. that was that one, yeah. And it's different. They had special flourish tables for yes, it as well. Exactly, little like extra mm. abilities you could do based on your class. Yeah, it might have been give you extra mm. movement, or if you were really lucky, give you a second smaller attack, yeah, something exactly. like that. Really, and done. It was done really well. Uh, it's sort of mimicking like having feats in D and D were done mm. with this stunt die. It yeah. was really good. It was. Now there were two problems with it. One, I think the level ups were a bit slow. Taking time to level up or no, the process of uh, doing a level up? what you got per level. Wasn't much. No, it really wasn't. That is fair. The other thing, the armor was broken. Oh, yes. The armor system was broken. If you wore armor, you could not get hurt. So, so the initial system yeah. was they would, they would have a flat deduction mm. from the damage that was dealt. So like plate armor takes four away from all damage. But then if you have a dagger... No it does, one did four damage on level yeah, one. Dagger did 1d3... Plus one yeah. damage or something. So it was go. So it was effectively, if you have a dagger and someone has plate armor, 
you can never defeat them in yes. combat. It was not not possible. And I believe we looked on the internet some, for some advice. There, there was a fan-made version where they corrected it a little and basically dice-based. Dice and, and the more ar- the more army you wore, the more dice you got yeah. to add to your. So basically, role. instead of plate armor being take uh, four damage away from everything, it was roll a d6 and take that away. Mm. And then like chain armor was roll a d6 minus one or something. Like that. So it was much smoother system. Exactly. And again, mimics a more reasonable idea of. Plate armor is plate armor, but it doesn't always defend from four damage because mm-hmm. if they lift their arm up, they've got an exposed armpit. Mm-hmm. You stab them there with a dagger. Done. Easy. Yeah. So we changed over to that. You ran a long campaign for that, um, which we never fully finished, which was disappointing. I mean, we finished the entire first thing. It was just I then oh, basically came up with like a sequel, a sequel mm. and I created that. And we but never sort of we got are, yeah. To it. I would do that again one day. That was good fun. It is good fun. Where's your all A campaign? Let's go to all A. We definitely could have. Let's go to all in my everybody. campaign. My campaign went everywhere. And we'll run it as a podcast. No, we're not <laughs> going to do that. Well, maybe. I don't know. Probably not. So we played that. That was great fun. Then uh, I then played some Deadlands. Deadlands was it's built on the Savage World system. It's set in a alternate history, 1880s Wild West setting with lots of supernatural stuff. The, you had to roll too many dice. Right. Every action was too oh, far boy. too tedious. It was yes. like you rolled your dice to see whether you hit. Then you rolled another die to determine where you hit. Then you rolled another die to determine how much damage you did. And then you divided that damage by the number of um, certain points, toughness they had. Then you rolled that many dice to see whether or not they got a wound. And it was and like, let's not forget that they could use one of their poker chips to avoid a wound. Yeah. Yes, you you do all that and they're like, okay, I play I play mm-hmm. a chip and I don't. Yeah, you have dice cards game. and poker chips in this game. True, way too many things and overly complicated. They did a. This is now. I'm talking about old Deadlands. Mm. They have done. If you buy Deadlands now, or maybe it's Deadlands Reloaded. I'm not sure. They simplified and smoothed out the whole system. Oh yeah. So it may be very different, but the theming was really fun. The setting was great. Character creation was always really interesting. I love the character creation. They have a whole one. character creation of you take a lot of and other systems have done this, but you take flaws to get you more points to get more benefits. And so you would have these characters who'd be like, well, I'm really, really good at all this stuff, but that meant that in character creation, I'm also missing an arm and everybody hates me because I'm really mean to everybody. I'm mm. a really surly guy. Yeah. And so then you play that. And if you play that up in in role-playing, if you play up those negative aspects when you role-play, or, the, or you get uh, those poker chip rewards for that, which was great. It was nice that they, they tried to establish that. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it, I'm sure, is a bit uh, non-PC with some of the stuff like, this is a terrible thing. And you're like, oh, maybe you're just describing <laughs> real people. Oh, you're a big fat guy. So I bad, so negative. Like, I tried hey, to bit, use mm. it to my event. You used it as you made your character crazy old, right? I did make a very yeah, old character. Yeah, so that was just, oh boy, you've got a lot of frailty bonuses. Mm. But it also really helped with role-playing. I had a character who, sure. was, who was a magic user who one of the options was to have like a really withered and destroyed arm. And mm-hmm. I was like, great, this is character building. It happened during a spell. I did all this. It was an injury that was great. Whereas mine, the one character that I created for it was canonically a girl disguising themselves as a boy to get a foothold in this whole cowboy game. And one of the negatives that I saw from the list was high voice. People don't take you seriously because of That's your high voice. So and I went, good. cool. It doesn't need to be an unnatural chipmunk voice. It just, just makes my, sense yeah, for this. Works so well. Um, so it was a great, I had a lot of fun with it. The One of the things that was wild was the magic system for... It was quite something. Because when you did magic in that spell, in that game, at least for one of the types of magic, there were a few different types, but one of them was you did magic by, uh, you were a cowboy 
or you were like a poker player who had a deal with the devil and you would basically play poker with a demon and if you beat the demon he would have to do what you wanted insofar as the spell and if you failed he could like take part of your soul and so every time you cast a spell your skill was how many cards you could draw and then you made the best five card poker hand out of that many cards and based on the poker hand the better hands would do more stuff it's like a version of of um what's that D D spell with the hand you can do stuff with a hand Oh. You summon a hand and it, I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's my God. You're right. Ma- just Mage Hand, isn't mage it? Mage Hand. Yeah, but Mage Hand. Uh, so it's like a version of Mage Hand, but it was like if you get a pair, you know, two twos, two fours, whatever, um, your Mage Hand can lift about half a kilo of stuff. If you got a four of a kind, it can push over an entire train. Mm-hmm. Like you can just derail a train with this magical hand. And so. I just thought it was really fun. It was a really cool way to do magic. I really, really liked it. There's so much tedium in some of those mechanics in that game, but the setting and some of this stuff was really, really fun. Um, it was a really, it was a, just, it's a cool game. <laughs> I think we, uh, we probably have some stories to tell about these ones of just little highlight moments of things going horribly wrong. Oh, yes. In the campaigns. Uh, for example, in my first Dragon Age campaign, we were very long. We had just gotten through everyone's backstory origin campaigns. Mm-hmm. I believe it was the Which first. Which was so good for you to run because that's I how love... the game was built. Yeah. You ran them for us and gave us so much meaning. Run more campaigns for me. Go on. <laughs> um, I think it may have been the first day that we're all together playing as a group in a fight. Lan played our mage and the very first thing she did was roll a triple one. And a triple <laughs> one. Right. According to the rules of Dragon Age, means that your soul goes out of your body and gets trapped in the phage, the magic realm. And this was rescue her. And then you had to go and completely change the campaign within like a week. I had to rewrite everything to create a fade campaign. That was great. God, what a good game. That was quite something to begin everything. Yeah, and that was that that whole campaign was great. You should run another campaign. Do you run another Dragon Age campaign? No, it would be fun. Do it. Set it up after this. After this recording, go start writing one. Get the books again. Reread the books. Get the rules down. So they're just sitting in the corner right there. Oh, good. Well, then we're done. Yeah. Let's do it. That'll be great. Um, now, Deadlands, I know one of your memorable stories. I feel like at one point in Deadlands, I fumbled a spell and blew up one of my friends. But you were trying to intimidate bad guys <laughs> at so the time. And so we used it as an intimidation And tactic. oh my God, oh, were they lovely. afraid? <laughs> yeah, that's how you do it. Just bang, I blew them up. There's an enemy. Yeah, lots of fun stuff. Uh so that was fun. And since then, we played the, um, you were running a, a, a Savage Worlds campaign, the, the, the more generic version of the system that's more recent, yes. the most recent version of it. True. Uh, it, it, it is very much more generic. It's not as yeah. generic as GURPS, the... No, but it's still does, fairly generic. Does the G in GURPS stand for general? I or, think so. Yeah, universal role-playing system. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, but, but it's not it too does... dissimilar, because you can play that exact same system in space, in in mm. the past, in a fantasy world, in a medieval setting. So it's pretty yeah. much as general as GURPS. It is a little tough because world building is something that I struggle at sometimes mm. and not having anything to go on world building wise. too much freedom. But then also not knowing what you can include, what you don't include, things like fantasy racism. Everyone's talking about that now, about how yeah. much to include that, how much is that a thing that we need or how much of that is good world building. Mm. And it's a tough balance. And when you have no world building really, but there is still fantasy racism in the in yeah, the that is, there's some stuff baked you? into the rules that you it just think, curious. okay, that's a bit, that's a bit odd to have that in there. Yeah. Um, it was good fun, but you're right. It is a bit tough. I wonder if we would have benefited more from that 
by trying to, once we'd come up with a world, go, all right, now let's go back to the rule book and let's really try and tailor it a bit more. Let's cut some things and change some things so, it, so the gameplay supports the world you've created a bit more rather than feeling a bit smacked on top. It could and I think be. Like that it needs, it needs a effort. quiet year style thing where I think the does. group builds up a world pre-campaign. Maybe if we do try and play some more Savage Worlds at some point in our lives. Is there a thing for quiet year? Look, see, quiet year. It's just it's not quite role playing exactly. It's just it's like com- story. It's communal almost. world building, yeah. really, as yeah, a it thing. Yeah, it's just communal world building. But it's always centered around the idea that the world is ending of some sort, isn't yes. it? It yeah. always ends with so an the, apocalyptic for disaster. People, for people who don't know it, if you if the the most recent season of Adventure Zone is probably the best example mm. of it. Not the not in terms of the best example, the most uh, accessible and well known example of it recently. Uh, they play a game called The Quiet Year, which is about like one year that does yeah lead to a sort of a disaster. I loved their Quiet Year, and they played it way more to set up their world and to, to create their world, and to then also they knew the world was going to lead to a certain disaster sort of feeling. So some of that would be interesting. I don't know if that's specifically like it is its own game to play. You don't need to use it oh, as yeah. a pretense, but I but I think they did a nice example of how to integrate it with a rule set to when you want to create a world for your campaign. And I think that doing more stuff like that, I wish I'd known it existed. I think it's yeah, a great idea. Might be something to do for an, if we run another general campaign using Savage Worlds or Girls. Yeah, or I think like I could build off that well. I have a thing when I GM, I can't start writing my campaign really. I can come up with a premise, but I can't mm. start playing or writing until I know who everyone's characters are so that I can help build an origin with yes. them. Well, that was why doing those origin campaigns was so nice for that when you ran the Dragon Age. We felt we had a place in that world, and you could and you had callbacks and and things to play yeah. with. And, and they're always were... a little bit more railroady than the real campaign. Yeah, but that's but fine. That's, that's just... part of the point. Exactly. Right. I am going to get you all to one place so yeah. that you can meet each other. Damn it! It was it was a very good thing, especially for. Fine. I feel like some of the people we're playing with weren't very into role playing games at that time. They have since been much more into mm. them, but so I think it helped them get into the feeling and and own their character a bit more. Uh, so it was done really well. Uh, we played uh, a game that I made. That's true. I put together a rule set for a Fallout RPG. Some uh. other rule sets for Fallout RPGs exist. I just wanted to practice and play and also create the sort of thing I wanted out of a Fallout it was RPG. Great. And I really enjoyed that. We had an AP system. For, I loved that action economy. Yeah. I thought that was my favorite. I, I would play more games if they used the system that I built now, for actions. I just have to say, I can't remember that much. It was quite some time ago. I think that I had an instrumental role in coming up with that AP system. Well, sure. <laughs> you can claim that if you'd like. Um, and that was really good. That was basically all actions. T- you know what it is? It's the Merp. It's the Rollmaster system. It you, is you've not. You've got a certain percentage. No. Get, no, it wasn't. But you had, you basically had, you had eight action points. You don't get to decide how much each action is worth. Yeah. That's and the then GM's you, job. And then different actions would take up X amount of points. To be honest, I did it because it's also the way the Fallout video games work. Exactly. Right? And so it That's just exactly went, why how the do, game's why, AP system All RPGs is. should work the same way. So we took that, that idea, same way that Arcanum works as well. Everyone yeah, play that's Arcanum. true. Don't play Arcanum. Go back to when you were a child, play the computer game Arcanum as a kid so you can deal with the, figuring out how the heck the game works. <laughs> and then as an adult, play it with nostalgia value. It's the best thing you've ever done. Hmm. Um, so I ran that. I set a Fallout campaign 
in Sydney, Sydney, Sydney Harbour. Because quite key. frankly, all of the Fallout games are just a little too America-centric. Not in that there's anything wrong with having a game set in America, but there's only so different that setting one in Washington and setting one in Boston can be. Exactly. So you set it in Sydney, set on the harbour. Nuclearized Australian wildlife, guys. Come on. We uh, Our vault was the, uh, the spiralling car park of the Sydney Opera House. Uh, that had been turned into a into mm-hmm. a fallout vault that we that so you guys good. came out of. Had lots of fun. The with Harbour it. Bridge was the gangland battle zone that everyone was vying yeah. for control over. Government House was where there was a small settlement of people who were your semi allies at the start of the campaign. And the Opera House was a mile den. Yep. Oh man, that was a good campaign. It was so good. I loved it. I had a lot of fun running that. We got to sort of the end of the first sort of main act of it. We never really continued mm. on with the second part, but uh. That always just happens. And you know what? It was fair because I think my character ended up sort of being held hostage against, away from the rest of the group. Yeah, it was kind of like a split campaign. And yeah, I'm pretty sure me and one of the other team members were clearly going to go to war with each other by the end of it. Yes. <laughs> it could have been messy. Um, but no, I had lots of fun with that. And it was fun to build that system. I never fully like finished it. It was always kind of being tweaked as we went. But, but you're uh, good at that sort of thing anyway. But it was nice. I thought it had some really nice, really well-designed elements. It was the, wonderful. The, the combat, I thought, was was smooth. The uh, weapons effects were, were the thing that I tried to introduce in that, which I thought was a lot of fun. You could definitely run that for friends again. Yeah, I should go back point. and see if I can. I don't it's remember what I made. Absolutely a highlight. So I should go see if I can find those rules again. And again, they're probably in that box over there. And then buy the IP to Fallout and make the RPG. <laughs> um, but that was a lot of fun. Um, and what's been going on since then? Have we done any other games? We briefly of? looked at the um, World of Darkness rulebook, but we never played it. We True. just we owned own the rulebook. I think I own the rulebook. Yep. I'd love to play some World of Darkness one day, but maybe not. I don't know. It's okay. The problem is the first, the initial rulebook, it stays very vague and very generic. Yes, it doesn't let you get the, into specialized stuff. Because we wanted basically to play Vampire the Masquerade, mm. but that's a sub-book of the yeah. World of Darkness rules. And, it just and got World of Darkness is just, the world is weird. Yeah, stuff might be paranormal, but you're just you're a human sure and yet. you can't figure it out. Yeah, There's lots of... so, And then other than that, now I've been playing a lot of Lancer recently. I've been running some Lancer campaigns. Um, Lancer I really like. Uh, it's a indie game set in like super, super future, and it's very mech combat based. Uh, and it does a really nice job of delineating, like you've got narrative stuff where you're playing through as your pilots running around doing stuff. And it's all very quick and smooth mm. and very easy. Uh, more similar to something like a Powered by the Apocalypse game, which I'm sorry if I'm do- doing too much jargon, is a whole genre of games uh, with the same rule set where you roll 2d6 and you can either basically succeed, fail, or succeed at a cost. That pretty much sums up most powered by the apocalypse games yeah. without any real details. So it has that kind of build when you're playing around as pilots and then combat starts, you jump into your mechs and it turns into a very tactical um, ta- like RPG positioning and damage and uh, combat stuff. Now I quite like tactical combat and RPG. So that's why I quite like um, Lancer. Uh, if you don't, you probably shouldn't play it, mm. right? The funny part for me, the little brief moments that I played Lancer with you I strangely felt more overpowered when I wasn't in my mech suit. Mm. Yeah, in my mech suit, like... everything felt evenly matched, but oh, I felt like I could do anything when yeah. I was just a human running around. Yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting. Because like... I made myself a mechanic or something, yeah. and so I could just do... You could do whatever you wanted. Oh. Great. But I've been really loving that. I've been loving running it for, for, for people, and, and it's been 
It's been a great game. It's really fun. Although what I'm thinking, uh, and I haven't asked the players about this, so they might not know. They, they could be listening to this and be like, oh, that's weird. Um, of pivoting to another game that I've never played, and I've never even seen anybody play, but I've heard a lot of people talk about it, which is Blades in the Dark, mm. which is a game where you play as like a criminal group pulling off heists and doing stuff. And I think that's quite smooth and obviously isn't focused on tactical combat because that's not the whole point. The that's, point that's, is to avoid exactly, combat by right? the sound so of it. Presumably there's very little, the very sparse combat rules in a good way, right? Yeah, I love um, it. Because I really, I love tactical, and that's I think an issue with D&D. D&D at its heart is After a tactical combat this, game. I was going to go into this. Because yeah, that's, that's an issue with stuff, right? People need to play the game that is right for them. D&D is interesting because it has such market control, but often isn't the game people want to play. People are like, oh, I love D&D. I don't like it when you have the combat and I don't like it when you're dealing with all the numbers and all that sort of stuff. You're like, cool, you don't love D&D. You love role-playing games. You should, D&D is built for different people. You should be playing something else, right? Because you don't like doing the stuff that, that D&D is good at. That can absolutely be true. Right? Because D&D is, is good at tactical combat and it's good at this sort of stuff and it's not so good at, you know... Like, there are, like, 18 skills in D&D for swinging a sword, and then there's one skill for the entirety of human communication in any context, no matter what. It's all yeah. covered by just one role. But then combat is 18 different decisions every second. Like, it's clearly focused on one thing, uh, but it's so all-encompassing that people are playing it and they just basically modify it themselves to take out all the stuff that it's built for. So it's like, you know... Play Lancer if you want to also do combat with big robots. And if you don't, um, play a different game. Absolutely, that's true for that. And I think that probably takes us to roughly the end of things. Like we said, a couple of D&D games here and there, mm. a couple of other things. The one that I feel needs special mention, which some people have probably seen, is your game that you created last year. Oh, yeah, that's right. I made a game. Uh, I made a game last year called Gateways about a year ago. Uh, which I've been loving. I ran a few of those on Twitch. It works really well. It's one of these nice simple perps. If people don't know, there's a whole industry out there of very short, rules-light RPGs out there. They usually just call them one-page RPGs. Yeah, mine's technically not a one-page yeah, RPG, but it's a four. It's, in spirit, it's a one-page RPG. And so, yeah, the rules are very simple. They usually are based around just a couple of core mechanics, mm. and then everyone works. It's a lot more fluid. Yeah, classic ones are Honey Heist, where your bear's trying to steal honey. And the witch very is few, dead. Which is dead. Uh, one of the classic ones is lasers and feelings, which is you sure. have two stats, lasers or feelings. And every roll is about better, them. Better you are at lasers, worse you are at feelings, etc. And you roll either one and, you're and you're shift, you can shift between the two. And it's just play through and just decide whether basically you're having a human moment or a fighting moment and yeah. it's chill. And so your game gateways, you just you come up with a character role, you come up with how portals are produced, and you come up with what you're looking for. And then you use portals to solve every problem that you have in the game with massive successes or dire consequences, yeah, depending on your role. it's a simple situation. It's a portal is either a hole that you can step through, teleports you from here to somewhere nearby, or teleports you from here to anywhere you've ever been in your entire life. The, more, the, the, more, the stronger the portal, the more dice you roll, which means the more chance there is for failure, either in the form of the enemy gets something better than you do out of this, or things go wild and wacky and ridiculous. And... You can tell I like table lookups because <laughs> every time you get roll a one, you have to look up a little table that says, here's the terrible thing that went wrong with your portal today. Uh, maybe you come out of it 20 years in the future. Maybe you come out of it. Maybe instead of and being able to go through it. And these can happen quite frequently. They can. 
Danny played a game uh, with, when we were first kind of playing around with it. I was the test subject, so I played as two separate characters. Yes. I decided to base them off the two characters from Lethal Weapon, a movie series that I have, have not seen. seen. But from um, what I understand, one of them is a little bit more of a rules guy who just <laughs> wants to get through and retire, and the other one's the wild card. Yeah, so Danny played as a wild card and a, and a rules follower uh, in what we ended up being <laughs> a, a strange sort of fortress slash temple protecting the one portal that was originally there that Danny had, had fallen through that brought her from the modern world into, into this crazy strange, future. crazy future world. She was trying to infiltrate to get back to that portal and go through it. And they don't want anyone to go through it because they'll close the portal and they worship the portal. Mm -hmm. It was a whole big thing. But you, very early on, you got inside the gates, you opened a portal that went wrong and started constantly spraying water everywhere. And you're like, oh, that's fine. I'll use that as a distraction. Got in further. You were approached by a bunch of guards uh, I created a hole in the ground to try to shoot them somewhere, and I think babies came flying out of the portal. What was great is there were ten guards. Yeah. Five of them fell through a hole mm -hmm. that duplicated the guards, so they came out. For every one <laughs> guard that went in, two guards came out. So now there were ten guards in that hole, and the other five fell through, and they turned into babies. And so really what you did, you turned a situation with ten guards trying to chase you into a situation with ten guards, but also they had to look after five babies. It was very strange. Um, but then you got through, you, you found the main temple, you got in there, and, and then, then right just at the end, as we were about to be found out as the infiltrators that we were... Suddenly there was like a boom against the door and water started leaking in and you realised that that portal had never stopped spraying water and the entire place was flooded and the doors exploded and water was coming in and you're trying and you were like getting, you're on a rope and half drowning and shooting up to teleport to the roof and finally jumped. It was great. It was a really fun. It was fantastic. It's a fun, dynamic, silly game. If you want to watch some of it, we've got them on our YouTube channel for just the archive of our Twitch streams. Uh, I'll link that in the show notes. Um, Go check it out. I'll probably be doing more tabletop role-playing stuff on stream this year. I think that's something Yay. I like to do. Speaking of which, there is another big thing that I have as tabletop role-playing experience, which if you've gotten this far, you will enjoy. I've been playing a lot of games with a Twitch channel called Level One Geek. Level One Geek is fantastic. Everyone there is lovely. They're all very talented. Um, they're all very... Often when you look at role-playing on... Twitch, and I have no examples of this because it's not something I do very often, but sometimes you find yourself on a stream and you click on it and you're kind of like, oh, what's going on? It's kind of boring. It's very low energy. Level 1 Geek streams are just so much fun. You go to it and things are happening and people are excited and it's very quick. They're all great performers. Yeah, that issue tends to be, it's just a funny convergence of people who like playing games versus people who are performing versus mm. people who know how Twitch works. And it's hard to find someone who's yeah, all three. Look, yeah, the Level 1 Geek people are across the board. They know how to play. They love playing. They know how to perform and they know how to run games on Twitch. Uh, so I've been playing a lot of games over there. I've been playing a long Pathfinder campaign called Tabletop Treasure Hunters, which is still going. You can catch it very like next week. It'll st you know jump onto it. There's a li I'll link to their Twitch channel as well. Um, and I don't have full details yet, but I believe I'll be doing another week-by-week long-term campaign playing Starfinder over there. So I'll let everybody know when that starts because it's basically going to be another show that I'm in as regular as Escape This Podcast. So you, I'll let everyone know when that is because that'll be a great thing for you to all come and watch. Um, because, yeah, it's a great channel, so you should check it out. Go, go, go follow them and then tell them I told you to follow them because they'll think I'm cool. <laughs> um, but that's been great. Fun. And playing online like that has been really nice. It's and you really actually get thing. to play again. I which actually has get to been play a while. again while in Game Master. Played lots of fun systems over there. Other than Pathfinder, lots of one-offs of The Witch is Dead or Cult or uh, uh, the, I can't remember the name of another one, which was a great sci-fi RPG where I played a telekinetic bug man. 
who thanked things all the time. That one? Uh, it was wonderful. Uh, lots of fun I've had playing with them over there, and I'll be doing more and more of it. Uh, and I think also doing some more on our Play This Game underscore live Twitch channel. I might try and run some yeah. more RPG stuff there as well. Just That'd I think be it, great. It's been fun. It's a nice pivot from computer games and still playing games, but playing some role-playing games there. So <laughs> if people are interested in that, go to there's a link to our Twitch channel as well. Follow it, and you can know what's going on. Uh, every 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 time we do something, and I'll try and announce it more on the on the podcasts when project. I mean, I did with gateways, so I'll announce it a little bit more, cool. just so people know what's going on. Yeah. All right. So that about covers our experience. Let's. Uh, I don't know how long we've been going, so maybe I should say wind it up. But I want to have a little bit of a conversation about just our preferences with some of these things. I hate all games. Yeah. Go on. Well, you've already mentioned the whole D and D being very tactical, combat heavy, and I feel like that was largely how it started. But it's very interesting because if you go back to very original D and D, anything killed you in one hit. Mm. One hit, one accidental step on a trap. <laughs> True. Everything killed you instantly. So you would expect there to be something more to it. Now, I haven't played any original D&D, so I don't know how you were meant to mm. deal with things. I think that felt more dungeon crawly. It was more about going into a dungeon, into a area, and it, rather than being tactical combat, it was just like adventure movement. It was, <laughs> I take a square. What's happening on this new square? Like I feel like it borrowed a lot from the ideas of something like board games like Hero Quest, the, prob the, the timeline probably swaps those. But this idea of like, you're on an adventure, you go moment by moment into this dungeon. What do you find behind this door? What do you find behind this door? There's treasure here. There's goblins here. There's traps here. It almost you know? feels like they were designed to be a roguelike because again, yes. everything kills you. I think they have that feeling. Um, it's not about long-term sprawling fantasy epics. It's more like a roguelike. It's a and then over time, people became actually invested in the idea of having characters that you could care about, mm. which... Now, it's interesting how that has happened because I find when I have played D&D &D on those rare occasions, I spend a buttload of time in character creation. Mm. I do not feel like I'm just making a combat sim. No, that's I fair. never end up feeling that way. And I understand there is an awful lot of skill that you can look into in D&D &D that is based around the combat, but... I don't think I see it as unbalanced as some people do. And I, think, I really to be fair, I think most of my opinion on the balance of D and D is from like third edition D and D, which was a lot more combat focused. Then four That's got fair. really tactical. And I think five really stripped it back because they know that it's the 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 kind of the main thing. So they hmm. think they did in fifth edition put in more consideration for, for That's fair, and I think that's probably the one that I've character. seen more of, isn't yes, it? I don't yeah, I, I'm assuming so. I think every time we played it's been five, fifth mm. edition. Um so maybe it is moving away from that a little bit. We also have the interesting thing that D&D, more than a lot of these other systems that we've played, it's got a lot of rules. It's mm, it does. chunky. Big rule books. And people sometimes find that restrictive and hindering, hinders their story creation ability. So they want these more flexible rules, light ones, in order to get the story that they want to tell out. That is not how I work as a human. Mm. To me, I always prefer the ones where the more rules, the more you can play with the rules and use them in funny ways. Yeah. And I think that that's what some of the best examples of tabletop role-playing podcasts have done. Like you've got your Adventures on Balance, you've got your um, Dungeons and Daddies season one. They play with those things because, you know, the players at these stages were only moderately familiar with the systems. They weren't the sort of crazy rules strict mm. people so they knew that if something was going to be entertaining it could be a good idea to go with it 
even if it slightly was twisting the meaning of a, of one of the spells or whatever. Mm. If it felt like it was in spirit enough that you weren't just pulling it out of nowhere and it would be fun, you could work with it. Yeah. For example, Dungeons and Daddies, one of the very first things that happens is an interesting side effect of throwing a bag of magic beans that all typically have different effects. But apparently when you throw a bag of magic beans, they just explode normally. Oh, sure. Now that would have sucked. So instead they went with, cool, I'm going to throw this bag of magic beans to sort of see what the, re- what the weird, wacky results are. Yeah. And that was fantastic. That was the best moment that any podcast has ever had. Mm. I think, I also think there's like, rules are interesting in games, in role-playing games like this. Because my general feeling is, I think what makes role-playing games more than just collaborative storytelling, which some people like to think about with role-playing sure, games. Sure, that's And some games are built for collaborative storytelling. But I like that they are, that there is this, this definiteness to the rules, right? Stuff that just happens. We've all got the same framework And you've got to deal with it, right? There is an earnestness to this, right? If you risk your life in a story, right, in like a, in a novel, right? when a character risks their life, generally like, cool, it's not a real risk because they're going to We succeed, can decide based right? on the story what's going to work but in there. A, but, but in a role-playing game, when you risk your character's life, it's like your character is risking. That, like you have an X percentage chance to survive this and an X percentage chance to die. It is a real risk. And then the story is going to progress based on the results of that. Like, if we rolled the bad roll and there's a 20% chance your character just dies, that was why it was risky. That was why it was heroic. Absolutely. And now they're dead and yeah. we move on with this feeling. And a good DM can make, can adjust how roles and things work to fit what's going to be best to make everyone happy. The best GMs are the ones who can take whatever happens at face value and turn that into mm. something amazing. And I, and I will say, I'm not saying that if you, if you're playing the game and you want to say like, no, no, my character doesn't die he lives because I don't want him to be dead. And I would rather enjoy myself. That's what makes life. you happiest. That's okay. Fine. I'm not saying that's the way you shouldn't play. I'm saying that's the way that I don't want to play. And, yeah. and I wouldn't want, like if I was game mastering for a person who was like, oh, I don't want to have real consequences in these, I would probably just say, cool, but I'm not comfortable game mastering with that. You know, let's go. And that's fair, right? People need to have conversations about how they want to play each game they want to play, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want people playing in ways they don't want. But I've always really liked that feeling of like, no, things will, the dice determines what happens in this case. And then the fun part is the group is moving on story-wise from that, figuring out what happens now, going, oh no, how do we pivot and deal with this? <laughs> That's the third pivot of the episode. Um, and I've always really enjoyed that as, as why role-playing games like that are quite fun, right? I love the failure that then leads. And you also have to, it helps for me that I, I've never been very precious. Uh, precious is a mean way to say it. I've never been very like, hyper-concerned about a character. If one of my characters dies... I want my characters yeah, to have like, horrible oh, things cool, happen right? to them. Some terrible things happen. This is great. Let's move on. Of course, look, I'm not saying... Some people are terrible, right? People will be like, horrible things happen. I'm going to have all your character's parents get murdered by this evil person. Oh, and he's going to yeah, come and he's going to sure. sexually Sometimes it can just be not fun. Like, no, this is terrible. Why yeah, would you do this? Not that's not how you want to play But for example, one of the times that we played D&D, uh, my character went up and they were a very... Hus- ho- Hospitable? Hospitable. It doesn't feel quite right as a person. They were just sure. So they saw a random person. They went up. They stuck their arm out to shake their hand. Person gutted me, (laughs) just straight up stabbed me straight through the guts. I lay there dying. No. And I survived that encounter because that's just how stupid stuff worked. And I was going, I didn't deserve to survive this. Are you kidding? (laughs) Yeah. No. I've always. 
I, I love playing RPGs, and for a while I didn't play many, and it's been nice through Level 1 Geek and through new kind of groups uh, of, of friends and online play and more people being available for and, and desiring online stuff. And It's been really nice to, to have that back as a regular thing in my life because it's fun. It's just fun. It's silly. It's great. It's, you know, I really like tactical combat stuff. I also, I'm happy to play games where there isn't much because you're just going like, Oh, how does this combat end? One die roll. We'll see whether you've succeeded, failed, or you've kind of half succeeded. Great, let's go and let's move on to the next thing. Um, but yeah. Mm. Now, uh, the other thing, you have a good advantage as both a player and a GM. Oh, advantage? Well, I'm going to roll my D20 twice, take a higher result. <laughs> go on. Cut that. <laughs> is that you can improvise very well. And as I say over and over again, that is not a strength of mine. Even when I would GM... I did not leave things to chance. I did not leave things open. I wrote everything. I didn't do you know, exact word for word scripts, but I knew who everyone was. I knew what would happen if you chose to be nice to a person, if you chose to steal from them, if you chose to raise an entire town with fire. I had everything planned because that's the only way I knew how to work. And that typically is not how GMs do it to my understanding. No, well, it depends, right? For me, yeah, I, I, I enjoy improvising and changing stuff, but I do plan stuff out. And... I like the idea of being able to change things, and maybe after doing so many Escape This podcasts where changing things is very risky and even solve this murders, where mm. if I want to say, yeah, you know what, that works, it feels like a horrible, horrible risk that I could be derailing everything. Maybe now I'll be better at going back to GMing RPGs where it really doesn't matter. Doesn't. Well, I'll tell you what my general <laughs> method for for creating things is mm. when I'm running, when I'm making a, a campaign or making it or just planning out Create a session. Create obstacles, not solutions? No. Because I do like doing that too. I don't do that. That is fun. I don't do that. I don't worry about that so much. My big thing is I go, what is true in this universe? Regardless of what the players do today or what I do, like what are the true things here, right? Mm -hmm. Like there is this character who exists who is going to be trying to rob a bank, right? Unrelated to what you're like, that's his plan today. If nothing happened, if the plague, it's kind of like, what are the things in this world that you can discover are true if you're looking for them or are going to happen regardless of the players being here or like this, just the things that are just true facts. Like what is the situation on board this spaceship that they're finding? Well, I tell you just, I don't kind of plan out how they're going to discover the information. I don't necessarily plan out uh, like what would happen if they didn't go to the spaceship. I just go, here is what happened. Here is the truth of the situation. So now when they start to discover stuff, and sometimes I'll be like, there are clues to that in these places. But often it's just like, as long as I know what is fact, then I can play around with whatever they want to do. <laughs> like, Because they'll be like, okay, we take this and we run this and we smack, take the computer and we, and we throw it at a person. I'm like, cool, well, I know that that computer is a special thing that people are obsessed with. So if you throw it at someone, they're going to try and catch it and run away with it and do all that, right? Because that's all I know. Well, I don't know who the person was. but I know How do you come up with a wider plot line? Well, that's a separate thing. I'll often come up with a plot line of... Based on if they've discovered these truths, what would like what happens next, or what are other people going to do, and and adding in other characters. So I do come up with plot lines. Because to me, that tends and, to be the conceits. most the biggest balancing act that everyone has to do is where are the characters going to get their impetus from, mm. and that can mean several things. Like I always, you always want to meet a character who can push the way forward. The characters by no means have to obey that person and just do whatever they said, yeah. but just to have someone offer some directions, maybe not one direction, but some things that could be on offer or use the origin story method, make each player have something that they want. Mm. Yeah, it, that works well. 
Also, it depends on your players. Sometimes you struggle so hard to be like, how am I going to make sure these players engage with the story? Then you have to just be like, you know what? They're human beings and my friends. I'm just going to say to them, hey, can, can you, you engage, engage a with my more? story? Like, what is yeah. wrong with you not playing? Because especially, and especially, you know, we're kind of coming at this with that teenage uh, experience of early playing where sometimes you just have people who are like, haha, I'm not going to engage. I'm going to do dumb stuff. You have to be like, okay, do you actually want to do dumb stuff or do you want to play? Because I, like, I shouldn't need to like spur you to adventure. Be spurred. Why are you playing this game unless you want to be spurred mm -hmm. to adventure, mm -hmm. right? So sometimes it's about the group and uh, and sometimes it is. Literally, don't be afraid to have characters just be like, hey, I'd like you to do these things for me because that's how stories happen, right? You know? Um, Can't be a video game without a quest board. Mm. And I've played multiple versions. Like I played when we were playing Deadlands, you know, we basically in character creation had one of the characters build up this desire to be a railroad owner <laughs> as part of his backstory. And then we were just sort of like, that's the campaign. Why not? Let's go and get you a railroad. Like, that's the whole point of this. Mm. What's going to start with the campaign? And you can pivot with that and make new, like, here's why you cut. Like, turns out now you've uncovered this whole corruption ring in the railroads and they're actually being run by the undead and you've got to now yeah, clear man, them out. There's got to be a demon that. train, doesn't there's there? There's a demon train. Oh. And, and, like, you build, you know, you get a train, you inherit a train. You always want to be a railroad baron, but then you find out it's haunted because of this, that, and that. Like, that's where you start to play, right? Um, but then sometimes the roles add new things and you, and you have to be ready too. Are you ready, everybody? pivot to the new stories sure we, i had this at the end of, of a lancer campaign that we were running recently where there was i had i had set up a thing whereas the main truth right was there's a, a dignitary coming from the planet to the station who was going to be signing papers to become part of the galactic empire and yeah they want that to happen and maybe and maybe he'll get attacked by people or whatever right well mm -hmm. no i had more details you know he gets attacked the whole thing you have to rescue him all this stuff. sure but then preceding that, there's a little downtime section before they even got to this part of the game. And one of the characters went, oh, I want to make a deal with this person to get them to help me out. And they rolled the, they will help you out, but only for a very difficult favor. Right. And the person, I went, oh, this is great because I know that character is anti, doesn't want this person joining the, 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 the Galactic Empire. So I'd had them go, all right, I will help you out on the basis that you stop this meeting from going well. Great. <laughs> Then another character rolled a similar type of check and to someone who's on the opposite side of this debate and got, they will help you out if you give them a favor. And I had that person say, all right, I will help you out if you make sure this meeting goes well. And then they, as a group, had to be like, we're torn between these two goals. We, you know, they've, we, like, each of us have, we each want it's something nice as well. It's nice that the system builds that yes. in exchange for a favor into right? its, it's roles. It's so nice. Um, and so they were like, well, we, like, they had to work out between themselves, like, well, which do we want the connection with that person or do I want the secret information from this person? As a group, we figure out how that's going to go. And now we've tried, and they spent too long trying to play both sides and the whole thing fell apart. Mm. Um, and, it, and it's important having a group that is good at that, right? Because I put their group at odds because I knew that they were going to resolve it well. But that was fun. It was just the dice came up with these two alternate favors and I, and I thought this is a great opportunity, latched onto it. And it was fun. It was a really nice finale of trying to please everybody and trick one person while trying to help the other and help the other. That was a nice way and of using mechanics. Speaking of using mechanics, and sorry, this is going to pivot all back to my D&D &D point about combat heaviness and things like that, which is, coming from my perspective, pretty much since the early days for quite some time now, I have been ultimate mega pacifist in life in general. There are still, yeah. still some people that you want to punch, but I won't do it. <laughs> sure. And that has very much bled into my character creation for all of these tabletop games because 
however combat light or heavy they are, an awful lot of them and all of the big ones are still based around killing people. Yes. Yeah. And That's because they came from combat and yeah. war gaming. And I am now very distinctly trying to pull away from that. And the first time I did it, I think, was in your Fallout campaign mm. where... I hated what this new apocalyptic wasteland world had become. And so I wanted to make it my mission to fix that and stop all of the horrible death. And that has very much bled through in a lot of ways. Like even my Deadlands character, what weapon did they have? A whip. A whip. Yeah. That's not killing anyone. And I have done that very strongly ever since. And it is fun trying to mess with all of these campaigns that are so combat heavy while not doing it. And I do not feel terribly restricted or like I'm using the wrong system because mm. it is a deliberate point I suppose that I'm making that I am a character in a world that is very fighty and deathy trying to mm. live in a way that doesn't align with that yeah the, the system in itself is world building because it, the system says conflicts are solved yeah. through violence and therefore the world in which that's played mm -hmm. has conflicts solved through violence yeah violence. so I think this is why I, I'm a little bit more forgiving like you are very much uh, more along the lines of some people are playing D&D &D and they shouldn't be playing D&D because that's not the system that they yeah. seem to want. And I don't mean to say in a gatekeeping way. It's, no, 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 no. I yeah, would hope course. they would find the game that makes them happier Absolutely. rather than trying to fight against the game they're playing. Yeah, but I am saying that even the systems that feel like they are leaning in certain directions can be used mm. in ways that you don't expect to really great effect. Yeah, I, I like that idea. Using the basically the rules are their own form of world building. I find it. It's funny because, again, I don't play D&D, &D, but I really respect it as a system. I think it's amazing. And there are a lot of people who go around out there, you know, not liking it by reputation and things like that or thinking that it's something it's not or thinking that you have to play it a certain way or it's not real D&D. &D. But, no, it's a really great system. I, I think it's quite spectacular what I they've mean, done with it. it's no map. That's <laughs> no gateways. It's no, it's no gateways. Uh... <laughs> And like their magic, I love the magic. I think D and D oh. is a, such a great example of world building through magic. Oh, I love the way that the phenomenal. naming naming their spells in certain ways is such a subtle but brilliant way to do that. To be like Melf's, Melf's acid, acid arrow, arrow is the classic example. Who's Melf? Why is this his acid arrow? Oh, maybe, maybe there's a book explaining it, but I and don't even know. Then immediately you can be like, I have a wizard character, and because I saw that there was a spell called Melf's acid arrow or Tasha's hideous laughter or whatever. I can now say, as my character, that's my goal in life. I want to have a spell that is my spell that people know. Great. Yeah. I've created a wizard character right now. He has ambitions. He has goals. It's great. And you get an idea of who the hell was Tasha. Yeah. And then you look into their this. iconic spell is the hideous laughter spell. Yeah. Damn, that's a character right away. To build, and it tries to, and it uses these as ways to draw you into the world building. Lancer is very good at this as well. They have weapons with odd names and odd descriptions. You go, what is going on here? And uh, then you yeah? look into it and you follow through. Like, you like... There's a the most absurd example of Lancer is there's a whole mech where like most of its weapons are written down as like errors. Like there's one gun that's just like called a it's called a something gun, but half of the punctuation is wrong, and the entire <laughs> description of this gun is this is not a gun. That's the entire that's flavor so text. Cool. And then you go, what? And then you read the stuff about this mech, and then you're going, it gets weirder and weirder. And they're like, no one knows how any of this works. It's all interdimensional, strange technology that they stole from. Like, and then you get into it, and you're like, cool, now I'm invested. But I was invested because of this one sentence description <laughs> that in, instead of being, the rocket launchers on this, uh, play, it was just, this is not a gun. And it was very <laughs> weird, and it freaked you out. That's awesome. That is a really, like, some games are really good at that, at building dragging you in and that's one of those things that inherently you lose from a generic system 
because they yeah. but reasonably and that's why I think things would have been more engaging if we had spent some time kind of adding that in before Definitely. playing the system. One other thing that I think adds to the world and your existence, and I feel like this goes in well with one thing that I said about the escape room stuff. Uh, with escape rooms, I said, have two NPCs. Mm. Similar here, don't just have your character engaging with the world. Make sure that your character has some real investment in at least one other player character. Yes, that's always is a really great way to set things up. Even if the whole group doesn't. As long, if, even if it's, but it's mm. it's very nice to have an, an engagement with another character. Absolutely, and we have one friend who pretty much uh, his entire mission when they play games seems to be to kill one other particular player, no matter who the characters <laughs> are. You've always a vendetta against that guy. Yeah, and but it's it's, fun. it's, it's ridiculous fun how often it happens, but you, it's fun as long as you play it well. It's and as long as the people agree dynamic. that it's okay. Yeah. All right, we've been talking about <laughs> games for ages. I hope that's fun. That's our experience with tabletop role playing games. A lot. Um, we got stories. So and... yeah, some amount. We got some fun stories look, out of it. There's heaps and of stuff we've that, got we've, opinions. that we forgot to even mention. Games that we've probably played that we don't remember. Definitely. So yeah, it's a fun hobby. But yeah, check out other stuff that we've that I've done with it online. We'll probably do more stuff in the future. Check out those gateways games. Um, buy gateways. Buy gateways. It's free, but you can also buy it. So buy it. <laughs> if I were you, I'd buy. If I were you, I'd spend like two hundred bucks on it. Like sure, it's four pages of a PDF, but. I think a thousand is 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 like a steal. So go to there's a link below. You can buy it. A thousand bucks, just throw it down. It's great. But yeah, so uh, thank you everybody. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And uh, we'll. I'm not sure what's happening next week. Oh no, we right? still got one like Probably one more a couple week. More weeks or of, something. Of not. I don't know what the date is. Out. January no. is a weird blur. Yeah, a couple of, couple more weeks before What's before happening? the new season starts. We'll put some other bonus stuff. Maybe a a, a cross post feed drop. Whatever. Yeah. We'll find out. I don't have a plan yet, but we've I have a plan got, by next episode. We've got stuff we can do. So keep smiling and have a gorgeous day. That's our sign up, right? That's our sign up. Have a gorgeous day.